listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. All week, we've really been dealing with the subject of purpose. And um, today's going to be no different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and attack it from a different side, a very important side, by the way. I was doing my reading this morning and something was just jumping, literally jumping out at me. So I'm going to give you three things, three mistakes that really stop God from using you today. But um, I really want to take some time to focus on one of those because it's so severe that it literally becomes, <clears throat> it becomes the trap that uh, keeps you from being able to do anything in the kingdom of God. And uh, so you're going to enjoy it today. It's going to be good. Um, two Sunday services, Letty, uh, currently, 9 and 11. Good to see you, Janine. Oh, and John and Kelsey following. It's going to be good. Dave's in the house. What's up, man? Regina, what's up? Lynn, happy Friday. Leslie, thank you. I'm enjoying the Purpose Series, too. Take a minute to share the broadcast, and as you're jumping on, let me know where you're watching from. Um, it's going to be a great day. Uh, a couple of announcements. If you didn't get a chance yet to uh, check out the new kids material, Miracle Word Kids has a brand new video that dropped on Wednesday and a new Bible study. It's going to be uh, more and more new stuff coming out, some new guests. I'm not going to say who they are, uh, but some new Miracle Word Kids guests. Uh, if you don't have the app, the new and refreshed, revamped app, go grab it. It's free. All kinds of cool stuff in there. Um, you'll be blessed. And then we want to see you. Hey, Kathy. Lily is in the house. What's up? We want to see you guys um, live and in person, just like Mike and Caitlin and Kelsey and John and hopefully Letty coming to the meetings. Uh, we've been having Victory Tribe members come in from everywhere uh, for all these meetings that we've been doing. And uh, we want to see you, too. So if you have any way that you can make any of these upcoming meetings, uh, we would love, love, love to have you in person. And uh, all of the meetings that are confirmed, for real, Letty? That's awesome. Um, we'd love to see you in person. And uh, all of the confirmed meetings are, are all up on our website. So if you want to know where we're going to be, the address, the times, the dates, it's all up and live for you. Anything we confirm, we put it on the website. So uh, we'd love to see you. And we got a lot of meetings coming up for you to come to. Um, doesn't matter really where you're at. It's easy to get around nowadays. So even if we're in Texas, it's easy to jump on a cheap flight that you can find, I'm sure, and, uh, and come be with us. But we'd love to see you. So check it out. Jess said we'll come to Margate in the fall. That's awesome. Glad you're coming. Very glad you're coming. We love seeing you guys in person. And uh, we got to see Jennifer Puma, heiress to the Puma Fortune, live in Buffalo. And her and her husband are coming uh, to Horseheads on Sunday. So we just keep seeing more and more Victory Tribe members in person. And um, if you got, um, <laughs> just so we may not come back to Ohio, <laughs> of course. Uh, you got to be careful when you're coming down to Florida. Hey, Josh Ruby, what's up, man? So it's going to be a great year, I'm telling you. It's just been this, just the first, what, five months have been amazing beyond uh, anything of any other year we've ever experienced at Miracle Word, far beyond. I was telling you guys, even the giving of our ministry, uh, we've already given more from our ministry uh, in the first five months than we ever have in 12 months of any other year previously. So God's opened the doors and blessed us and we've been able to bless others. Uh, it's supernatural. It's absolutely supernatural. Of course, this, of course, this is the year we launched on TV around the world. Of course, you guys know that God blessed us with the studio. Uh, and if the schedule keeps up like this, I may have to just satellite into the studio. But it's been phenomenal. So I know it's going to even be better. You know our word. We're going to run in 2021. That's your word. That's mine. And uh, we are going to run 
we are going to run in 2021. So get ready for the best days you've seen these next seven months. And as we get ready to cross over into uh, June, which that's how many days? Just a few days, three days, crossing over into June. Um, get ready for the best things that God's ever done in your life. Expect that. Have expectancy and faith that uh, it's getting ready to go to another level because it is. And that's our that's our word. We're not backing off of it. We're standing on it. We're going to run through 2021. Um, today, I want to jump and show you these three things, uh, three common mistakes, errors that really stop God from using you. It's funny because people are like, well, God can do anything he wants to do. Well, that's only partially true. He is omnipotent, but he does not do anything that violates his own word. God won't do anything that violates his own word. And so we have to understand that uh, when God's doing things in our lives or doing things through our purpose, he'll never do something that contradicts what he already said in his written word. That's so important because when you start to recognize the fact that God has already laid out his will, his plan, and his purpose, then everything he does will always be in line with his will, plan, and purpose. He won't violate it for somebody else's uh, mistakes uh, or negligence or rebellion. He doesn't do that. Uh, and so anything that God does is going to be done through his will, plan, and purpose. Josh says, any chance you'll be coming to New England or Maine this year? Actually, there is a chance, Josh, that I might be coming to Maine. We're looking at it right now to see what the, what the story is. Nothing confirmed yet, though. Um, and so today, I, wanna, I want you to understand that God has a desire to use his people, to operate, to work through his people. That's what you saw in the early church. If you go back to the book of Acts, you know what you're going to see? It's not God working independently of his church. It's God working through his church. And the Bible says, and you know, multiple times, and the Lord working with them or worked with them with signs following. And the Lord worked with them, with them, with them. So I want you to uh, put that in the comments today. God works with us, not independently of us. He works through his church. He works with his church. And, you know, it's interesting that like, for example, if he's really willing that none should perish, then why doesn't he just supernaturally make uh, the gospel available to every people group, to every individual? Why doesn't he just make that happen through his omnipotence, his power? Why doesn't he just show up or send angels? Because his word shows us that he's given the job of preaching the gospel to the church, to Christians. And so he's given us the great commission. We're to go into all the world. We're to preach the gospel to every creature. And so God, he works with us, not independently of us. And that's a powerful thought because that shows you that your purpose is that uh, important. Your purpose is that important. And so um, we all want to be in position to be used by God. That's the key. We all want to be in position to be used by God. I don't, I'm sure you don't want to be out of position. I don't. I don't want to be out of position where, to a place where God can't use me. It's like, oh, man, you know, I really wanted to, to be used by the Lord. But unfortunately, and that's the thing, unfortunately, there are people that cannot be used by God. It's a very sad thing. But we're going to show you that in a moment. But... Um, I'll start, let me see, let's start with, let's start with uh, 2 Timothy. And you guys can put these passages um, in the comments as we're going through them. But these three things that I want to cover, and I'm going to cover one of them more in depth than the other two, but they will literally keep God from using you or just can, it completely puts you out of position for God to work with you, through you. And that's not what we want to see, obviously. We want to be used by God. But it's a trick of the devil to keep God's people in a place where they're unusable. They're totally unusable. 
and I refuse to be unusable. And I want that's something I want you to put in the comments, and I'd like you to write it in a note of some sort and just keep that in front of your mind, keep that in your spirit. I refuse to be unusable. I refuse to be unusable. And there are many people who are unusable, and that's a sad thing. But I refuse to be unusable by the Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm with you now in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Hey, Faith, Mary Beth, great to see you, Josh. By the way, if you're jumping on, share this broadcast. Hey, Lenann, Ed and Colleen, love you guys. Um, I refuse to be unusable. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start reading with verse 20. You guys can follow me. Um, 2 Timothy 2.20, and I'll read down uh, for a few verses, probably uh, down to like verse 22. Listen to what the Bible says. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Morning, Ashley. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, look at that, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So I want to make a couple of points about these, just these three verses, because he goes on to continue talking about this, Paul does. And, uh, but I want to make just a few uh, things that you know, a few comments on these three verses, very important comments too, because uh, there's a couple of things that need to be pulled out of this. Number one, uh, the Bible says not everybody's the same. There are vessels of gold and silver. There's vessels of wood and clay. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody's going to be the same. You know, although God's brought us all into the kingdom, although uh, I'm talking about Christians, although we're all washed in the blood of Jesus, although we're forgiven of our sins and can continue to receive forgiveness uh, and all that, not everybody's at the same place. And of course, according to Paul, and of course, he's talking about people that are working for God. So he's not talking about sinners. He's talking about Christians. Please get this. Paul's not referring to sinners here. He's referring to Christians. And he said, uh, there are vessels of gold and silver and vessels of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use. Well, that's the gold and silver. Vessels of gold and silver are for honorable use. And then vessels of wood and clay are for dishonorable use. So verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, you see that? He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy and useful. So I, I want to show you something here that's really interesting. Um, if you are one of those people that is an honorable vessel, you're also a useful vessel, according to Paul. If you're an honorable vessel, you're a useful vessel. And, but here's the thing. If you're a dishonorable vessel, you're a useless vessel for dishonorable use. Think about that. Think about that. So when I, now here's the second part that's really important. This is so important. Look at verse 21. So therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, if anyone cleanses himself, then he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. Did you notice, this is such a, a wild thing, it is our responsibility to become honorable vessels. So check this out. Some people might read this and say, we'll see that. You, if not, you could, almost, you could almost look at this without reading the, the subsequent verses 
and just read 220. This is why you should never just pluck a verse out of context and just read it and then try to, uh, you know, extrapolate theories out of one verse of scripture pulled out of its context. I know we shattered everybody's heart when we went on and, and broke down Jeremiah 29, 11. But we, you should never pull a verse out, pluck it out of its context, read it, and then try to extrapolate theories from one verse out of context because it, it's dangerous. So if you were to just read uh, 2 Timothy 2.20, you might look at that and say, yeah, you know what? In a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay. Some are for honorable use. Some are for dishonorable. But if you looked at that, you might think to yourself, well, you know, it's God who makes some honorable and makes some dishonorable. It's God that does that. And so he knows the ones that he's made for his use. And he knows the ones that uh, are not for his use that, you know, he's, and, and they put that on God and they'll say, well, see, God, God has already prepared for himself people that are for his use and others that, that are not for his use. It's not what the Bible's teaching. That's not what Paul's teaching. If you go on to the next verse, he says, so, and if anyone cleanses himself, then uh, he'll be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy and useful to the master. So Paul's saying it's the person themselves that's responsible for whether they're a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. It's not God. It's the person. That puts personal responsibility on every believer to become a vessel of honor. You see that? So I want you to put this in the comments with me today. I decide whether or not I'm useful. Put that in the comments. That's a huge thought. I decide whether or not I'm useful. Not God. God wants all of his children to be useful. <laughs> God wants all of his children to produce fruit in the kingdom, right? John 15, if you're connected to the vine, you should be producing fruit. So put it in the comments. Hey, Pam, I decide whether or not I'm useful. And how do we decide it? We cleanse ourselves from what's dishonorable. And so as we're, and as you're writing that in the comments and as we're, uh, as we're putting these things in, the number, the first one, the first common error that stops God from using Christians is sin. They don't gain victory over sin. And that's what, what Paul's dealing with here. That's why in verse 22 he says, Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So Paul's, Paul's telling us here that you can't allow sin, hey Jaden, you can't allow sin to keep you from being uh, an honorable vessel, a vessel of gold and silver. You decide your usefulness based upon your diligence, based upon your obedience. My obedience decides my usefulness. My obedience decides my usefulness. I want you to think about this. Let's, hey Hope, let's, let's take it in the, in the context of let's say sports. You may not be a lot of sports fans on, but you'll understand this analogy. Let's take it in the concept of sports. If you play football, one of the positions that you can play in football is a wide receiver. And if you're a receiver, uh, they create for you certain plays. And there are routes that you are supposed to run as a receiver. And depending on what play you're running, there's different routes that you'll run to evade your defender and catch the ball. The thing is this. If you just make up your mind, you know what? Forget this route in this play. Forget all the practice we've ever had. Forget what they want me to do. I'm just going to run wherever I feel like running. I'm just going to go wherever I feel like going. Now, you have the freedom to do that if you want to. But you know what's going to happen? Is that when you start to become disobedient to the routes that have been dictated to you, then your usefulness as a receiver is vanishing very quickly. Because if you understand it, the reason that there is a plan, a play 
is so that everybody will work together to bring about the victory. But if you start going off on your own and saying, you know what? I don't care what the route is. I don't care what I'm which one I don't care which way I'm supposed to run. I don't care what we've practiced, you know, all year long. I'm just going to run wherever I feel like running. Well, the quarterback's not going to know where to get you the ball because you're outside of your route. You're you're out doing your own thing where he looks to expect you to be, you're not even there. He can't. So what happens? The coach begins to realize I can't use him. I can't use him because he won't uh he won't obey the route that was literally prepared for him. And the thing is this, if you get to that place uh, where you're on the team, but the coach can't use you, then you're useless to the team. You're useless to the team. This, this, This is, I want you to catch this today. You're useless to the team. You're not carrying out your purpose because you're, you're literally running your own routes. Same as in the kingdom of God. Is that, and that's what Paul's dealing with. There are people that are just constantly disobedient. They're running their own route. They're doing their own thing. And as a result, they're not useful. The Lord can't use them for his own purpose, can't use them for his plans because they're doing their own thing. Instead of being obedient, cleansing themselves uh, from what is dishonorable and becoming a useful vessel. So the first thing I want to deal with today is that sin and not gaining victory over sin or separating yourself from sin keeps you in a place where you are not useful. I mean, let alone uh, bringing you into a place of danger because uh, obviously you're in danger of losing your own soul, the Bible teaches. I was just reading that at the end of the book of James today. You know, that if people wander, and he's speaking to believers, if any of you wander away from the truth, the one who goes and brings that sinner back, you see that? So even James, the brother of Jesus, is writing that it's possible for Christians to wander away from the truth and engage in a life of sin and then become a sinner again. And then someone has to go bring them back into the kingdom Uh, You've saved that soul from death, James is basically saying, that you've saved that person from eternal separation from God. So uh, Christians have to make a choice to continually obey God. You've got to make a choice to continually fulfill your purpose. It's a daily, really, if you want to break it down, it's not daily. It's an hourly choice. It's a minute-by-minute choice that I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to obey the Word of God. And then when you do... It makes you useful in the kingdom, makes you useful in the kingdom of God. Very important thing. So so Timothy uh, is receiving this instruction from Paul. He's the younger minister, Paul being the older minister, instructing him on how to function in the kingdom. And that's the first thing I want to deal with with you guys today is that we have to be people, number one, that are uh, continually ready to obey God. So number one, sin is a common pitfall that will stop God from using you. Number two, and I really want to deal with this because the Lord was bringing it out heavily to me today. Well, actually, you know what? Number two, I'll give you, uh, and then uh, on the final one, I'll spend my time on what the Lord was dealing with me. The second error that keeps God from using you uh, constantly is double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. Put that in the comments. Number two, second error that keeps God from using you is double-mindedness. It's so dangerous to be double-minded. It causes you to be divided in your loyalties. It causes you to uh, end up in doubt and unbelief, even if you don't want to end up in doubt and unbelief. It puts you in that position because that's truly what double-mindedness is. Number one, it's sin, but number two, it's double-mindedness. And and if this is not a heavy, if this is not a heavy warning to the believer, uh, I don't know what is. Wait until I read this to you. What's up, Billion? Haven't seen you in a while. It's great to see you. James chapter one, verses five through eight is where we're going to read. If you're taking notes and if you're putting it in your, your, uh, or opening your Bible to that passage. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read it to you. 
And if this isn't serious, I mean, think, listen to how seriously vital it is to stay free from double-mindedness. I mean, just listen to, just listen to this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. No doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything, anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Look at how dangerous it is to be double-minded. It literally puts you in a position where you can't receive anything, the Bible says, anything from the Lord because of your double-mindedness. It's instability, according to Scripture. That person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. Well, did you know we can see this in scripture? Like we can see this happening in the gospels. You've heard this story. You've probably gone through it many times. Jesus goes back to his own hometown, Nazareth. He's expecting, now listen, he's expecting to do miracles there. He's expecting to bless them. He's expecting to see God manifest his presence in that region. And he's blown away when it cannot happen. Literally, Jesus, <laughs> the Bible tells us, and the one translation uses the term marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. He was blown away by their level of unbelief. That's exactly what the Bible's telling us. And the thing that will, the, the thing that will shake you is to realize Jesus was the word made flesh. He's God in the flesh. And he goes to a place expecting to do miracles and cannot, the Bible says, do any mighty works there. You read this in Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Cannot do any mighty works there except for laying his hands on a few sick people and healing them. Why? Well, they had faith, but the majority doubted him and he marveled. He was blown away by their unbelief. So do you catch this now? Double-mindedness. Well, is this the son of God or is this Joseph and Mary's son? Unbelief. Unbelief puts you in a place where you can't receive anything, anything from the Lord. And this is wild because both of these things are taught in the scripture. If you have unbelief, it cuts you off from receiving anything from the Lord. But what does the Bible also say? If you have faith, all things are possible to them that believe. You see that huge, I mean, that right there is a huge uh, contrast if you look at it that way. Someone who doubts or has unbelief can't receive anything, not one thing, but people who have faith, there's nothing they can't receive, the Bible says. Nothing they can't receive. All things are possible to them that believe. That's a powerful thing. All things are possible. There's nothing that will hold you back from receiving if you have faith. You see that? That's exciting. That ought, that ought to stir your faith. That ought to stir you up to know God, there's nothing God can't do for you if you have faith. I refuse to put myself in the position of a double-minded person. I refuse. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm not going to doubt God's word. I'm not going to doubt God's word. I want you to put that in the comments. I'm not going to doubt God's word. It's a foolish thing to doubt his word. His word is eternal. His word always comes to pass. His word cannot fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. He's exalted his word or above his name. I mean, it's a crazy thing to doubt his word. So put put it in put it in the comments. I refuse to doubt God's word. I'm not going to doubt God's word. 
I'm not going to. I don't care if everything on every news station says something that's contrary to what the Bible says. I am not going to doubt God's word. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's where you got to be. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's where we're at. And so I want you to see this now that here double-mindedness is such a dangerous thing that we're getting this heavy-duty warning from James to stay free from any kind of doubt, any kind of unbelief. Well, how many times have I seen it that, you know, God wanted to bless people, God wanted to use people, and literally could not do so because of their unbelief, because of their doubt? And it doesn't mean God doesn't love people, and it doesn't mean you know, this is what really makes me mad is that you get these people that are obviously aren't Pentecostal. They're not charismatic. They don't believe in the gifts of the spirit. They don't believe in power of God in operation now. They're cessationists. They believe that uh, God's power stopped moving in that way after the last apostle died. The canon was completed and the church was established. Uh, that we don't need those same types of miracles and signs and wonders anymore. Apparently God changed. Apparently Jesus Christ is not the same yesterday and today and forever. But if you start listening to the way they talk, they start bashing preachers like me and Christians like you because we talk about the fact that, you know, if uh, people don't receive, they need to grow their faith or they need to increase their faith. Something Jesus taught, by the way. Something the apostles taught. Say, oh, well, that makes really, that really is what a slap in the face to Christians that they say, well, you know, the reason you're not being healed or the reason you're not receiving a touch is because you don't have enough faith. The Bible teaches that. <laughs> I don't know if you understand the Bible. It's Jesus that couldn't do any mighty works because they didn't have faith. It's the disciples who couldn't cast out a demon because they didn't have faith. That's what the Bible says. They, they said to Jesus, oh, Lord, how come we couldn't cast this demon out? You know what Jesus said? Because of your unbelief. That's why. Because of your unbelief. Oh, how come they couldn't receive miracles in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6? Because of their unbelief. That's why. So I'm tired of listening to these people, these cessationists that try to give us a hard time because we say, oh, well, you tell people the reason they haven't received anything is because they don't have enough faith. Yeah, the reason we say that is because the Bible says it. The Bible says it. It's funny to me how people want to be so, oh, I want to be accurate and I want to be consistent with the text. Read the text then. Read the text and know what the Bible says. The reason people did not receive Jesus condemned unbelief, he condemned doubt, and he said uh, for people who had great faith, he commended them. He condemned doubt and commended faith. He condemned doubt and commended faith. He rebuked doubt and unbelief. Rebuked it. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus rebuked doubt and unbelief. Because when you, when you really get, get into this, you say, well, you know, that was his disciples. Those were the people he was just raising up. No, it wasn't just his disciples. It wasn't just his disciples. You know, if you read the story of that I was just referencing in Mark chapter 9 of the parents who had a son that was demon-possessed, and what does the father say to Jesus? Because remember what Jesus says. Uh, the, the father says in Mark 9, 22 about his son. Uh, this demon has often cast my son into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now listen to the, the father's comment. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now listen to the listen to the phrasing the father uses with Jesus the master. If you can do anything, if you can do anything. See, he's not even sure if Jesus can do anything. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, "If you can, all things are possible for 
one who believes. See, I think the King James didn't quite get this uh, correctly rendered. Because if you look at any of these more modern translations, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I don't believe that Jesus was referring to the man, if you can believe, all things are possible. No, because look at some of these new, more modern translations, ESV. And Jesus said to him, if you can, he's repeating the man's phrase, if you can, all things are possible to them that believe. Listen to the New Living Translation. And I know that it's more of a, a dynamic equivalence. It's a thought-for-thought thought translation. But just listen to how it's, it's rendered in the New Living Translation. Pretty interesting to me. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Because the Father said, if you can do anything, help him. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Grace from Dublin, you're back. It's good to see you. Notice, notice how Jesus responds. What do you mean if I can? Don't come to, don't bring that in here with that doubt and unbelief. What do you mean? And then instantly, that it shows you that it was a rebuke because instantly the father cries out, no, no, Lord, I believe. Don't, and help me to overcome my unbelief. What do you mean if I can? What are you talking about? You're dealing with the master. Look at the NET. The Bible scholars here render this the, almost the same exact way as the NLT. The New English translation. Then Jesus said to him, if you're able, because the father says here in the NET, uh, but if you're able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He said, if you're able, question mark, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things, Jesus is throwing that phrase back at that man. He's not saying, if thou canst believe. He's saying, if I can, if I'm able, He's throwing that back at the man. Basically saying that's an unacceptable response. All things are possible. Don't bring doubt into this. Don't bring unbelief into this. All things are possible if you believe. And that's why the man immediately cries back out. Says, no, 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 Lord, I, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because he knows he's getting rebuked by the master. What do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I'm able? I'm the master. And God is all-powerful, and all things are possible to those that believe. This shows you here. He didn't just rebuke his disciples because they were supposed to be doing his works too. He rebuked this man that was coming for a miracle for his son. Jesus condemned unbelief and commended faith. That's what we need to get. He condemned unbelief and commended faith. So tired of these people bringing this like it's wrong to say that people should have faith in God. What are you talking about? You're going you're gonna to come over here and, and start a squabble because, well, that, brother, that's really putting people down. That's putting people down if you tell them that they don't have enough faith. No, it's telling them what the Bible says. Build your faith. Christians are required to build their faith. It's not a revelation. Build your faith. If you know, okay, First of all, let me break this down because I'm, I'm ranting a little bit now, but let me rant for a minute. If you know that Jesus is displeased with a lack of faith or not even that, not even that, Jesus is also displeased with people who have small faith when they should have big faith. And this is where he got to his disciples and rebuked them for having small faith. You know, it's not that he just rebuked people for having no faith. He rebuked people for having small faith. Oh, ye of little faith. That's a rebuke. Oh, ye of little faith. How long do I have to be with you? He'd ask questions like that. You're going to keep depending on my faith instead of having your own faith, right? Jesus didn't just rebuke no faith. He rebuked small faith and then commended big faith, right? The, the centurion, Matthew chapter eight, marveled. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Your faith has made you whole. I mean, he, he commends big faith and rebukes small faith, especially from people that should have had more faith like the disciples. 
And don't tell me that it's okay to be a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, and still have small faith. It's not okay, and it's not right. It's not right. We're expected to grow in faith. We're expected to grow in faith. Put it in the comments. I'm expected to grow in faith. You should have greater faith after being a Christian for five years than you did when you were first saved. You shouldn't have the same level of faith after 20 years that you did after two years. Your faith should grow. And we know that there are levels of faith in scripture. Jesus refers to levels of faith. He refers to no faith. Don't, don't tell me like some of these people, well, you either have faith or you don't. No, that's not true. That's not true. It's not you either have faith or you don't. The Bible in the New Testament clearly shows us there are levels of faith. There's levels of faith. There's no faith. There's little faith, right? There's great faith. There's, uh, you know, unlimited faith, the gift of faith. It's when you get to access to God, the God kind of faith. So don't tell me you either have faith or you don't have faith. No, you don't. There's, there's great faith. There's small faith. There's no faith. You can grow in faith because there's a thing we can do to get faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul's preaching. Now, even if you wanted to argue and say, well, that, that passage is only talking in context about people who hear the gospel and then have faith to be saved. Okay, if you want to go there and be super uh, dogmatic about the context of Romans 10, then let's, let's go further to what about when Paul's preaching and ministering and then finally sees that there's a man in the crowd who has faith to be healed. Or, for example, Bartimaeus outside of Jericho. Uh, Mark chapter 10, hearing that Jesus of Nazareth was coming through, he, he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why would he shout out unless he had heard something about Jesus that built his faith to be healed? Because you can grow in faith in, in different areas of your life. That's the whole point. So the, these people that want to oversimplify everything because they don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt, Jesus didn't mind rebuking people and bringing people to the, to the understanding. You're not where you need to be. There's nothing wrong with correction and telling people, you're not where you need to be. You need to grow in faith. You need to grow in faith. If you want God to use you, get double-mindedness out of your life and build faith and walk by faith. By the way, we did an entire series on this in Miracle Word University called Mountain Moving Faith. We teach you about faith. We teach you how to have it, how to get it, how to operate in it, what it does. You can have mountain-moving faith. If you haven't gotten into that course, you need to go get it. I keep it cheap so people can just get it whenever they need to. 69 bucks for five or six hours of teaching. Miracle Word University. It's miraclewordu.com. You need to go get it and take mountain-moving faith and go through that course. And understand what the Bible teaches about faith. God expects us to grow in faith. He doesn't expect people to stay in small faith. You know, there's also something wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong if you're two years old and you're still trying to formulate sentences. There's nothing wrong if you're one year old and you're trying to learn words or whatever. But there is something wrong if you're 22 years old and still trying to formulate sentences. There is something wrong if you're 21 years old and still trying to form words. There's something wrong there. It shouldn't be that way. What, what, what is that? What, what do you have when you're, it's, it's, that's why it's, it's termed uh, that there's a disability because we know it's not right that they have problems learning, problems retaining, whatever it might be. And that's the problem in the, in the kingdom, but nobody wants to say it. Nobody should be at the same place 10 years later that they were 10 years before. It's displeasing to God. It's fully displeasing to God. Because his desire for you is gross. It's growth, not gross. I was reading Case from Christina and said gross. It's growth. His desire is growth. What does the Bible say in Proverbs chapter 4? It says the path of the just is a shining light that shines brighter and brighter 
until the perfect day. Your path is supposed to get brighter daily. It's supposed to get brighter, greater, increase. That's the whole plan of God. He doesn't want you staying in the same place. He wants you increasing. Put it in all capital letters. God wants me to increase in every area. Put that in the comments. Because if you'll get that revelation, it'll change your life. God wants me to increase in every area. God wants me to increase in every area. No question about that. The path of the just is a shining light that grows brighter and brighter. That's right. God wants me to increase in every area. Amen to that. And so don't be in a place where God can't use you because of a lack of faith, double-mindedness. Some of us are listening to too many voices. We're listening to too many voices, too many people that are not saying what the word of God says. They're not saying what faith says. And we get, we get this stuff pumped into our spirit and all of a sudden it's coming out in moments when we should have faith coming out. And that's the key. Don't allow yourself to get to that place where you've listened to so much of the secular world, you've listened to the news, you've listened to analysts and politicians, and you've listened, and now you're saying what the rest of the world is saying instead of having faith and saying what the word of God says. Don't eliminate yourself from being useful to God by being double-minded. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Let me give you this final one. And this is really where the Lord dealt with me today. The third thing that is an error, a mistake that keeps God from using you is pride. It's pride. And I want you to uh, see it with me today in the book of James chapter four. Hey, Claudia, James chapter four, pride is a killer and it keeps God from being able to use you. Um, Let's go to uh, James 4, and I'll read you a few, but one of these jumped out at me today, and I'll, I'll get there for you. James 4, and let's start with verse 6. But he, which is God, but he gives greater grace. Let me flip back to the ESV. We were looking at those other translations. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives more grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, that's what we just dealt with. So double-mindedness is, when you're double-minded, there's a necessity to purify your heart. Verse 9, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Listen to verse 10 now. This is what jumped off at, at me today. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's verse 10, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. So, as we know from even the book of Psalms, promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. And so what causes God? You know, sometimes we read those things and people think, well, God's just sovereignly and randomly promoting people. No, he's not. His eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are turned toward him. One translation, whose hearts are loyal to him. On whose behalf he will show himself strong and mighty. God's not sovereignly or randomly picking and choosing who he will exalt throughout the earth. Notice what the Bible says here. There are things you can do to see God exalt you. And one of those things, which is a massive thing, is humbling yourself, staying in a place of humility and meekness, staying in a place of humility and meekness. That's key. You know, one of the things that'll blow your mind, and I can, I'll can i show it to you in the Word in a moment, but 
if promotion comes from the Lord, that means he's looking for those who are qualified for his promotion. Qualified for his promotion. And then he promotes them. And humility and meekness are the key to promotion, to being used by God. You know, uh, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the key to inheritance. It's the key to inheritance. Let me read to you something that is very, to me, mind-blowing. I heard Bishop Oyedepo teach this. And uh, it, it really, he brought these two verses out, struck me hard in regards to meekness. Numbers 12, 3. The book of Numbers, the 12th chapter, the third verse. Listen to this. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Let me read that again, just so you catch it in your spirit. It's about Moses. The man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Meekest man on the earth. Now let's go to Exodus 11.3. <laughs> this is a powerful thought. Exodus 11.3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So look at this. The man who was very meek is the man who became very great. You see this? This, this shook me up. The man who was very meek is the man who was very great. Meekness is the key to greatness. Who exalted Moses? Did the devil exalt Moses? No. Did humans exalt Moses? No. Did Pharaoh exalt Moses? No. The Lord exalted Moses. The Lord preserved him, the Lord kept him, and the Lord's the one that promoted him, and the Lord's the one that used him. The man who was very meek is the man who became very great. In fact, as we understand, Moses, you say, well, you know, he was second only to Pharaoh. No, he wasn't second only to Pharaoh, only in the Egyptian economy and the Egyptian um, government. But in reality, he was far greater than Pharaoh because he had a covenant with God, which Pharaoh did not have. Moses was far greater than Pharaoh because he had a covenant with God. And God used Moses to bring about Pharaoh's destruction and the army's destruction and Egypt's destruction, a wicked place, a wicked place, a godless place. And God used Moses, who was far greater than Pharaoh, far greater, to bring judgment upon Pharaoh, his army, and the nation of Egypt. The meekest man, became the greatest man. If you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. No question. If you'll humble yourself, God will exalt you. Meekness. There, I, I've, I've seen so much pride. I mean, I see so much pride in, in the body of Christ. You know, it uh, doesn't matter what. Preachers, musicians, people in the pew, and people get all caught up in pride. Supernatural. It's like, it's like demonic, demonically supernatural. Like you're anointed to be proud. I won't work with people like that. I've made up my mind. I made it up a long time ago. If I ever encounter people that have that kind of spirit, I do not work with them ever again, ever. I refuse, because remember this, you become who you hang around. So if I know from James 4, 6, 
that God's opposing. He's actively opposing the proud. Why would I surround myself with the proud? I'm literally surrounding myself with people that God himself is opposing. That's a stupid thing to do. I want to get around people that God's promoting, not people that God's opposing. I, don't, I do not want to be in a place where I'm hanging with people that God's actively opposing because I want God to promote me. I want God to bless me. I want God to exalt me. Why would I spend time with people who are caught up with a spirit of pride? They're haughty. They think more highly of themselves than they ought to. And I don't have time for that, neither do you. Not if you're going to fulfill your purpose. You don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. Your purpose is too great. Your anointing is too vital. What you have for this generation is too much. And of course, you can know. I mean, you'll anybody can spot a proud person, a haughty person. Anyone can spot that a mile away. Steer clear. I'm honest with you. Steer clear. Oh, yeah, it includes serving in ministry. Steer clear of pride in serving in ministry and those that do serve. Steer clear of that. Because it just, it's, here's why. Proverbs tells us why. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so, if you are, if it's a sure thing that you'll be destroyed by staying in pride, and if it's a sure thing that you'll fall by staying haughty, why would you ever allow yourself to engage in it or surround yourself with people that are engaged in it? Why would you ever do that? Pride is the prerequisite for destruction. Put that in the, in the comments. Last thing I'll have you put in. Well, maybe. <laughs> pride is the prerequisite for destruction. No question about it. Pride is the prerequisite for destruction. Sad. I've seen ministers taken out. I've seen worshipers taken out. I've seen churches taken out. I've seen Christians taken out. Wouldn't correct pride. You got to you got to stay humble. People just grasping for titles because of pride. Grasping for titles. I've had people introduce themselves to me. Hello, I'm, a, I'm Apostle so-and-so. Oh, are you? How many churches have you planted? None. You're not an apostle of anything. Hello, I'm an I'm a, I'm apostle. I'm Archdeacon. Zach Ramsey, he's the most humble of any person in the earth. I, I you know, I, it's, it's crazy to me. Hello, I'm apostle. How are you? What have you been the apostle of? And you can know, because you know me, the, the, hello, I'm a prophet. I'm prophetess. What have you prophesied? What's your track record? Because let me tell you, prophets don't have to go around telling everybody they're prophets you'll know that they're a prophet. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. You'll know it by the fruit of their ministry. Have to run around telling everybody. You don't have to run around telling everybody. And there's a difference between ministering to sinners I saw G-Unit or G-Unite, whatever the name of that thing is. There's a difference between ministering to sinners like Jesus did and ministering with people who are full of pride. Big difference. I'll preach to anybody. I'll minister to anyone. I don't cut people off uh, from ministry because they're proud. But again, I will not minister with pride is the third. Yes, the third issue that destroys you is pride. I'm not going to go around and minister with people and surround myself with Christians that are supposed to be meek and humble, supposed to be servants of God, full of pride. I got no desire for it. I got no time for it. Go, go somewhere else and measure yourself next to people.
I'm not into the measuring game. Go measure yourself somewhere else with somebody else. Because I don't give a crap, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've been in those situations. All, all the ministers get around the, the table to eat, and everybody wants to measure their ministry. What have you been doing? What, where have you been at? What, what, you been, what do you got going on? <laughs> Buddy, I don't have to explain myself to you or measure my ministry to yours. You know, you can tell, too. You ever had somebody ask you a question? You ever, you ever had somebody ask you a question and you could tell the only reason they asked it is to give you their answer when you were done talking? Because the, the reason they asked is they wanted to tell you what they thought about it. <laughs> you can tell those people quickly. And I don't care. I don't care to sit around measuring my ministry with other people's ministries. So where you been preaching recently? What have you been doing? Conferences? You've been doing revivals? <laughs> makes makes people laugh. I've had people ask me, <laughs> and I just say it now as a as a uh, a joke. People would be like, "So what are you doing? What are you doing the rest of this year?" And I'll, and I'll be like, "You know, I think this is actually my last meeting. I'm going to retire after this." <laughs> you just be the opposite. Just be the opposite. People are all caught up in titles and, you know, what What are you doing? Where you been? What do you got going on? People trying to just compare themselves among themselves because they're unwise. That's what the Bible says. Comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're unwise. It's not smart. Now, I will imitate those that have gone before me. And, you know, the Bible says, like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll do that. I'll, I'll follow after people that have done what I want, I'm believing to do and gone further. I'll follow after that. And I'll, I'll, because there has to be a certain level of comparison in order to imitate, like Paul said. But it's not a negative comparison like these others are doing. It's based in pride. The other is based in humility, recognizing I'm comparing, comparing myself to see what I'm not yet doing. That's humility. You compare forward, don't ever compare backward. And so I wanted to see, to deal with this today because I want to see God use you in a mighty way. I want to see God use you in a mighty way. And that's key because time's running out. It's, it's urgent. And these three things, I've seen these three destroy people. Sin, unbelief, and pride. Sin, unbelief, and pride. Don't let them touch you. Don't let them touch your life, business, ministry, family. Stay free from it. And I'm going to pray for you here at the end of the broadcast. And of course, it's Friday. And I'm asking God for miracles today. Breakthrough Friday. Whatever breakthrough you're believing for, whatever you need, I'm going to ask God to touch you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for every person that's watching or listening. I pray in Jesus' name that whatever it is that the enemy has tried to use to harass them, that you today would blow your breath from heaven and blow every wicked thing away from their house, ministry, children, mind, finances, body. We ask you, Lord, to destroy every plan and attack of the devil that was launched against your people. Bless them today, supernaturally. I pray, Lord, if there's people that are believing for healing in their body, heal them quickly. Let the healing virtue of heaven flow through their body in Jesus' name. Those that are battling in their mind, give them peace, joy, blow depression and anxiety and fear far from their house. Lord, for those that are believing for open doors, open the doors quickly for them, Lord. Doors of opportunity. Let this be the year that we run like we've never run before in Jesus' mighty name. Keep us far from these things, Lord so that we can be used by you. Let us always be vessels of gold, not of wood and clay. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you and we give you praise. Amen. Listen, on this Friday, sow a seed. Do what the Lord's telling you to do. Easy to do. You can go to miracleword.com and right there on the website, there's a page to give. Has every possible way that you could sow seed. I'm encouraging you to partner with us. I know you have the ability to do it. Do what the Lord's leading you to do. Stand with us at $85 or more this month and every month. 
set up partnership. Make God's kingdom your priority over anything else. Make God's kingdom your priority and stand with a soul winning ministry. We're a soul winning ministry. We're a miracle ministry. Seeing God move supernaturally every single week, touching the world, traveling, preaching. People are saved. People are being baptized in the Holy Ghost. People are being healed. Praying for you, Grace, your sister, suffering attacks of the enemy. I'll, I'll pray for you. And so I want you to I want you to stand in faith and believe God. See, because we're doing this as a family. That's what I love about the Victory Tribe. God uses us together. Uses us together. And there's people that God's been speaking to. It's time to take a big step of faith and stand in partnership because time is coming to a close. And Jesus has a desire to see this world changed by his glorious gospel before it's too late. It's going to be a great night tonight. I'm at his tabernacle uh, here in Horseheads, New York. Tonight at 7 o'clock. It's going to be powerful. All the information is on the website. You can come and check us out. Be a part of what God's doing these next three days. We're just going to flow in the Holy Ghost, see what God will do. It's going to be powerful. Everybody that's partnering with us in the month of May, we're sending you uh, Dr. Cho's book, uh, Prayer That Brings Revival. And uh, you can get that at our website after you've sown your seed. Uh, those that are sowing largely, you know what we're doing. We're sending you one of my favorite Bible resources, the Life Application Study Bible, Genuine Leather. And uh, man, all these components, these little different parts of the uh, Elite Study Collection are keep coming in the mail. We're putting them together and getting ready to ship. For everybody that sowed $5,000 or more, we're sending you something we've created called the Elite Study Collection. I'm going to be posting pictures soon. It looks awesome. I can't wait to get it into your hands. Thank you for sewing. There's, you can always use Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, uh, Zelle transfers. Um, all these different things are available on the website. You can give by debit credit card or credit card. And if you have some inordinate trust in the post office, you can still mail a check. Our, our, our address is on every page of the website at the bottom. I love you. Thanks for hanging with me today. We're going to see what happens, Regina. We're going to see what happens. We're just going to be led by the Spirit and see what happens. But stay tuned. Keep your ear to the railroad tracks for any further news on this meeting. We love you guys. Have a great, great weekend, and I hope to see you soon. Be blessed. I'll talk to you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.